All right. All right. Uh, you're listening to the Shuttlecock Podcast. I'm Aaron Rhodes, and this week I'm here with Aaron Randall from the Kansas City Star. How you, you doing, Aaron? How's it going, man? The the Aaron's meet. I'm I'm doing good. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, First off, you are a classy bitch with these yeah, Pellegrinos, you know, man. This is this is fantastic. If anyone wants to send me a case, um, you we'll, we'll give you a shout out on on the <laughs> podcast every week. So, cheers. Cheers. Uh, so yeah, you're a Kansas City native, correct? That is correct. Born and raised. Born and raised, and you went to Lincoln Prep. For yes, I have actually only been to like three schools in my life. I went to CA Franklin for preschool. <laughs> Start that. How is your How is your preschool? Actually, Aaron? you know, um, it sucked, man. I'm still mad at Brittany Thompson. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I went to four schools: CA Franklin for preschool, Benjamin Banneker for elementary, Lincoln Prep for middle and high, and Howard University in Washington D.C. for college. Awesome, and so. You it, did you do a lot of writing and when you were going to high school and all that or I actually did not. Um, I did some. I just uh, <laughs> I tried journaling, but I did. I wasn't consistent with it at all. It's kind of funny because I like remember one time I I was I only wrote really when I was mad, and my mom found my journal like five <laughs> years after I like left for high school, and she was like. Yo, what the fuck? Like, it was really going in on me. <laughs> but um, no, um, uh, actually, I was, uh, I just was really good, or English came natural to me. I liked English and I liked writing reports, and it was really easy. So um, I always knew that writing was something that I enjoyed. And it wasn't until um, actually I was in yearbook, um, shout out to Lacey Hill, yearbook teacher. And um, I started my side hustle in high school back in the ancient days was I, I would use LimeWire to burn CDs and that was like my side hustle. And uh-huh. I was one of the few guys in school who had like early on, like 03, 04, um, who had a computer that could like burn CDs and mm-hmm. could do it pretty fairly consistently. So um, that's relevant to my story because it kind of being the go-to guy for the CDs in the school I was introduced to a lot of different music, mm-hmm. and so um, that kind of really uh, heightened my interest in music of all types, I guess you could say. And then when I paired that with um, the fact that I was pretty good at English and just writing um, in general, my yearbook teacher just one day just it says, "Well, you should just work. You should work for Vibe." And she was um, she mentioned how magazine editors. Her pitch was perfect. She was like, they know all the celebrities, they get to do all the cool shit, but they don't have like the 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 public burden, right? Like yeah. and the way she would say, she was like, I mean, I bet like the editor of chief of Rolling Stone has everybody who's in their cell phone, he's at their parties, rah, 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 but he doesn't have to deal with the burden of fame, but he knows all the famous people who's around them doing that kind of thing. So that made me interested, like, hmm, I could do that. So then I was <laughs> like, all right, so I started researching and uh um I kind of got into the idea of working for a magazine, and that influenced me to want to be a print journalism major um, at Howard University, um, which people kind of still wonder about, because it's like Mizzou's right in my backyard, number one journalism school in the country. Why didn't you go there? (laughs) But um, Howard, I had found in my research, had a really great... Well, one, it was away from home. I wanted to go to the East Coast and just experience the East Coast. I've always been fascinated with East Coast culture. Um, It was on the East Coast in D.C., and I found that Howard had a definitive pipeline from with Vibe magazine. Like Mm -hmm. A lot of their alums had written for Vibe or other places that I wanted to write for. 
So I thought, and it was one of the top um, communication school communication schools in the country. So I thought, hey, they have they clearly know how to get me to Vibe. So this is before Vibe went under, and this is back when Vibe was still like you know next to the source it was like one mm-hmm. of the you know rap hip hop Bibles. Um, and did you read it a lot growing up? Or I did, yeah. I did. Like Vibe was like the go to, and this is before you know social media and all that. So like when you really had to you know, rely on those beacons like Vibe and Source, you know, that they were really just exalted, you know, pieces of um, of art, really. And then when you think about it, like being in Kansas City, again, without the connecting powers of technology, like Kansas City felt a world away from Vibe and all that they covered. You know, this is before anybody of note would come here for a concert or, you know, most of your friends and family had never even been to or heard of a New York, not, not heard of, but been to New York. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And um, so what what years were you in college? I was a freshman in 2000, the fall of of 07. I graduated in 2011. And uh, my first year of college, I didn't uh, didn't focus on an internship. My second year, um, I applied for a Vibe internship, Mm. which was dope. Um, Got that. I'm literally, um, excuse me, I'm literally in the... um, the rooms with like Danielle Smith Wilson and these great writers I've looked up for a long, a long, long time. Danielle Smith, who's now uh, the editor, the culture editor at Undefeated. Sean Fennessy was there. He's the editor in chief of The Ringer, Bill Simmons' uh, mm-hmm. blog. Um, Josen Cummings writes for Very Smart Brothers. He works for Twitter now. Like, there's a lot of names that I had really just looked up to. Um, so I get in there, you know what I'm saying? I'm swagging out, doing good, you know, doing my thug. Th- I'm the only guy from like Kansas City or anywhere like. I don't know, west of Atlanta uh, in the uh, in the intern pool, eating, you know, my popcorn and jello every day because they didn't pay interns back then. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I'm loving it. I'm swagging it out. Yeah, well, what kind of stuff were you writing there? Well, um, we didn't write much because it was still Vibe. And again, Vibe wasn't trying to let no rookies write uh, for their magazine, Total Speak. I did a lot of um, transcribing. It is not easy to transcribe the RZA. Yeah, <laughs> FYI, it's very hard. Um, so I, was, I did a lot of transcribing, a lot of research. We 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 were though the early social media team. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. We didn't get into the actual print publication, but we did the social media. So before, like you know, digital outreach was a thing. We were doing that. We were doing the tweets and we were doing the um, the Facebook uh, Facebook outreach and the Facebook posting and things of that nature. Yeah, it must have set you up pretty well for like some of the stuff you do now. So yeah, it did. Good. It did. It was. It was great to have that introduction into into uh, just understanding the importance of digital mm-hmm. early on. So a lot of transcribing, a lot of grunt work, but it was also great because Vibe was not just like the coffee internship. You know, like they wanted their. Um, their interns produced every year this internal publication called Pulse Magazine. Mm-hmm. So kind of like how Inc. is the internal publication for the Kansas City Star, that's how Pulse was for Vibe. So they would literally, there's like an editorial intern team, um, uh, a fashion intern team, you know, the research interns and so on. So they would literally put us in charge of producing like a mini magazine. So we had to go out and we had to like find... Um, our subjects, find our cover star, shoot the cover star with the photography interns. We had to lay it out with the art interns. The editorial interns had to actually write it. Like the whole night, we had to put on like a release party. It was it was super super dope. Mm-hmm. Um, we were trying to get J Cole. It's like oh wait, you know it's early. Like he was 
big enough for Pulse, well, well small enough for Pulse, um, but not, but also big enough to like be a cover star, but not quite get like prominent featuring vibe yet. Yeah. This is like right before the come up. Um, so yeah, that was all gravy until uh, I go into Vibe one day and uh, Vibe was uh, shut down. Mm. Uh, I was actually there the day. T- two cool days. Well, they're actually two horrible days, but it's interesting that I was there. The first time was when Michael Jackson died. That was strange because being at Vibe, which is a Quincy Jones publication, found out before everyone, and you can't say anything, but you like know it. And it was weird to see. It's just intense to see so many music obsessed people find out that the that the musician has died and then just sing and it's also cool though to see like how the best music journalists in the world do their job when something when breaking news happens so i was there that day and then a week later we're in um we're in a we're in a meeting one of our morning editorial meetings and uh daniel smith is like yeah so uh this is all over we're we're gonna go go home and interns are just like this is not a this is not a good joke like i got shit to do and then I look around, and notice they're like they're like editors like sniffling and crying. I'm like, wait, what the hell is going on, bro? Like, what, like what the fuck? You like, said that was a week after. Michael yes, oh, it, was that's a, a it was a terrible rough, week. It's a rough yeah. fucking June, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rough, rough June. And mind you, to get here, I had to like borrow money because again, I have no one in New York, so I'm in New York. I'm dead broke. I put everything I had to this internship. I'm eating popcorn and Jello. So um, she's like, "Yeah, it's over." And I'm like, "We're thinking it's like a joke." And I know some people are like crying. So interns realize this is like this is real. Like what the hell? And then as she says that, she's like, "Yeah, so we have to like pack up the office and get out." It's like a legitimate eviction. Like when these when when these companies fold, they're treated like a a, a delinquent tenant in a house, so to speak. Because yeah. literally, these men in suits walked in, looking like looking like the IRS men in black, and they were just watching over us as we packed. Literally like twenty years of vibe history in like three hours, which works out for me because I have things from the vibe office that I just should not have. Like they have, they have each of these, um, each of the covers that they produce. They put them on this wall called the cover wall. I have like four of those. I have like the original Snoop, the Snoop um, cover, the TLC Firefighter cover. And maybe like, maybe you shouldn't be dropping this stuff. I know, but I mean, y'all nah, nobody's come listening. To Kansas City, no, you know? you're good. You know, but um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's crazy. So that was um, pretty intense. But then from there, luckily, I made a good impression on my intern, um, the head of interns. So she got me a job at BET. Oh, that's so I worked there, and then I did some internships at um, Team Epiphany, which is a PR company uh, in. Uh, New York, mm. and yeah, that's my internship history, really. Yeah, and that, all like the BET work and that stuff was was that all still while you were in college? Yes, mm. BET was the same summer, so I spent like two two weeks, you know, crying and hating life for like make, doing all this to get to Vibe, and then I get there and the company goes under. Yeah. So I'm like, this sucks. But then um, my intern. She got me a job in July with BET, which was cool because I got to work in production or in development. So I got to see how they come up with the BET shows and just I got kind of an inside look into TV production. That was super cool. That that was my sophomore year after my sophomore year of college. Junior year of college, I did um, the Team Epiphany internship, which is a PR internship. The thought process being like, you know, I need to have a skill set in PR and in editorial or have some experience in both. And that was super cool, learning from Coltrane Curtis, who was like a visionary in um, in uh, marketing. And then senior year, I graduated, and uh, I was a server and working in construction. I had like these odd jobs until uh, uh, about 2014, 
I really started to, because I, I actually wanted to do jobs that weren't in journalism at first because I was tired of being poor. Like, I, I mean, I, I just to be frank, like DC is really expensive, and I was just like, I wasn't in a rush to be a low pay journalist. Yeah. And so I got, I found this construction job that paid me an insane amount of money and allowed me to like live good in DC. Like, yo, it was a life, bro. Like, mm. I'm 22. If I want to go out get a drink, and my homies came, it's like I got you. I got enough money to like pay for the homies at the bar. It was a good time. But then uh, eventually I realized that I might get comfortable in a job that's paying so well and so easy to work. So I thought that I need to get back into journalism. So I started to send my um, to send my resumes out. And like we all find, people somehow want you, expect you to be entry level, but to have 10 years of experience, you know, yep. that dichotomy goes. So I was getting into like the final rounds of these various um, positions uh, editorial for Living Social um, for the John F. Kennedy Center, trying to apply for all these jobs in DC. This wasn't working out, mm. so I moved to I moved. So I made the decision to move back to Kansas City. I figured if I can, I can at least, I will at least have the the com- the ability to, because um, in DC you you don't have time to spend your days working. Or looking to find a job. It's so expensive. You have to work. You know, I don't have time to send out resumes and to research and to find places to go. Yeah. So um, I have to be working, and that takes that takes away my time that I can devote to finding an editorial job, a, a journalism job. But I figured in KC, you know, I could, you know, kick it at mom's crib for a little bit and spend that time really honing, you know, trying to hone down and find a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, then I came here and... Uh, Made a few connections, started writing for the um, the Kansas City Call was my first article, I believe, here. And I kind of used that from, from that point on as a stepping stone. I used the call to get into the ink. And then I kind of like finessed that a little bit. I would like, I would use, I was, it was only an ink article, but I would say it was for the Kansas City Star. Mm-hmm. So when I, I pitched myself to, um, <clears throat> to Ebony Magazine, and so I like, I like wouldn't say it was an ink article I'd say it was a Kansas City Star article and yeah. it was like so it makes me look a little bit more um a little bit more accomplished than I actually was at the time but that worked like on Ebony magazine then use Ebony to get in the complex and just stepping stones until um 2015 when I got hired uh as a temp for, at first off at the Kansas City Star I'm sorry 2016 last last July mm-hmm. as a temp and then I was brought on uh, full time in uh, about uh, October awesome and wait, you said the Kansas City Call. I'm not familiar. Yeah, that is that. Um, that is our local black newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an institution. It is one of the first papers in the country to document lynchings. Um, it was founded uh, by C. A. Franklin, where I went to, where I went to is uh, where I went for a preschool, and uh, it's home some great writers. I know. Um, Got his name, Roy something. He's like, he's he won a, he became a really famous writer. And Lucille Bluford, who the library on Soul Parkway named after, she was a pioneering um, journalist. So yeah, I I uh, wrote my first story for them, and I thank them for giving me my first chance because a lot of people were not looking looking at me. Mm. Um, what what story is that? Uh, it was a story on um, the Workhouse Castle over there on like. Uh, it's like nineteenth and Vine. It's like like the, the kind of the abandoned castle yeah, where everybody like yeah, spray paints yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they were they were trying to uh, a group of a group of kids, um, including uh, one of a friend of mine, Daniel Edwards. They were trying to um, revitalize it, you know, and rehab it and make it a community workspace. Mm. 
And um, it actually became a pretty significant story. Like, uh, eventually all of the um, news media in Kansas City would cover this story. But um, uh, I think I broke it first Mm -hmm. for the Kansas City Call. And it was a front page story. And then they let me do a few other stories. And that was kind of like my my first foot in the door. So, I mean, I will always be thankful to the local Kansas City, the local black paper for giving me my first first shot. Mm -hmm. And so I think also you had told me before that while you were in college, you had also done worked on like an MP3 blog with some of your friends. What was what was the name? Yeah, of that? Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Mesh Life. Um, Mesh Life. That's it was such uh, <laughs> a silly, silly name. Music Edge Style Heaven. It was was the acronym. Edge. We, yeah, I know. It's like yeah. we just thought we were so clever. It's like <laughs> with music blog. We were edgy. We did style. Do you, do you um, like hashtag everything? Hashtag Mesh Life. Hashtag, yeah, like, like it was like a thing, bro. Yeah. Like it was it was on the early onset of like blogging. So like. In Howard, like, it was lit. And then, like, people that I ran it with, they were super cool. Like, my girl Aisha, she's just popping on campus in the AKA in the sorority. And then my boy CJ is just this little fly guy on, on campus. So, like, we threw, like, a back-to-school party one time that was crazy lit. And back in those days, again, like, you hadn't... I sound like I'm old. I'm like, <laughs> old job back in those days. But like it's like 09. So, like, you don't, you don't really have... Like, think about how fast technology is, right? Like, you don't really have all those blogs to get whatever you want. You don't have a phone. You just get hear whatever song you want to hear right now. You, you, really, you really relied on those handful of blogs that you, that you trusted to kind of let you know what was going on, what was hot, music-wise, you know, fashion-wise, culture-wise. And at Howard, at least, that was um, one of the blogs that thankfully became really popular and uh, we won a few like we won like some black weblog awards for it it was really cool but it was it was my first really introduction into consistent music journalism because mm-hmm. i did like reviews and things like that on there yeah and uh yeah what what what, what were some of the artists and stuff that you you, you were into well back then, um man of course drake this is like oh nine this is like right yeah, so you're er, early jake early j cole yeah, I was on before he was yeah. hot you feel me no um but, uh, <laughs> drake and obviously j cole I was really, really big on J. Cole, especially early on. Like, we used to have, like, J. Cole days. Like, I mean, Friday Night Lights was, like, one of our highest traffic days ever when that when that um, dropped. Um, it spanned, man. We did we did Wiz, early Wiz, Cushion OJ Wiz. Like, we, we dropped that. That was a big day for us. Uh, <laughs> Bad Boy actually shut us down one day because we uh, got a hold. Because we were, we were, we were um, really adamant about, um, we, we did not care about like dropping links to songs and copyrights. We just did whatever. Yeah. And one day we dropped like a Diddy Dirty Money track. No, no, bueno. Uh, Bad Boy definitely shut, us, shut our ass down for like two days. <laughs> that, was, that was wild. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Kids in the Hall, like early backpack era stuff. But um, we actually covered artists. Um, what worked about Mesh is that our tastes were so different. Like, I really, um, my base, I've always known R&B more than hip-hop early on because mm. my, my, my parents are older, and that's just kind of like my base. I really, I really wasn't allowed to listen to like a lot of rap, for real, for real. Um, but, like, my homegirl Aisha, she's from Florida. She knows Biggie and East Coast rap like crazy, but she's also like this... Just popping pretty girls. She got the pop on lock. And you got CJ, who is so eclectic. He had um, he knew R and B and rap and jazz and all that. So I say that to say that like it was all over the place. Like we covered Frank Ocean back when his name was Lonnie Bro, hmm. which I didn't even realize until a few years ago. So we had like Lonnie Bro on there, Frank Ocean, early Frank Ocean, early weekend. 
Um, I mean, everything, man. Trey song, it was just everything that we anything that we thought was popular or that that people our age wanted to get in on. We really latched onto it. We latched onto her Nicki Minaj early on because she was really blowing up and bubbling at that time. So I mean, it was just it, it proved really useful because it taught me one how to kind of research and go out there and 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 see what's hot and to, how to gauge what's hot. And it taught me, you know, just how to interact and engage with um, a digital audience. Um, it taught me, you know, just. Oh, the work ethic that's needed, I think, as a journalist to blog every day. Like, we never took a day off. It was, we posted something all the time. That's important. Like, just small things that I realize now that we're in such a digitally driven world mm. is super, super important. And you you kind of referred to it as a, a Howard blog, I guess, because all of you were attending Howard yeah. at the time. But would you say that it was a common thing for, like like, different universities to have their own, like, set of, like like music blogs or fashion blogs and stuff or or do you think you guys are kind of unique in that you know i don't i don't want to say that no one else did it but i noticed that we got a lot of input from other colleges who we kind of became the go to like we had a lot of regional hits um i mean not just from like dc from all over the country um and I, I don't think it's the fact, like, we weren't the only ones doing it. No, like, I won't ever say that. But I do think that we were early on to the blog game. We started in 08. We were definitely, like, a novel thing. Like, people were still understanding Twitter, and understanding the tech world, so to speak. So the concept of, like, starting a blog wasn't as easy as it is today or didn't, or didn't feel as easy. I mean, it was as the same as it is today, but it just felt like, oh, blog, that's like, you know, I guess today you can compare it to, say, like, coding. You know, like, people felt like it was harder or more difficult than it actually was, yeah. which kind of created some apprehension, so it wasn't as many to, to, to choose from, which worked in our advantage because it's like you kind of had to come to us. Mm-hmm. But I would say by the time we kind of ended in 2011, 2010, the 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 market had exploded. Like yeah. it was tons of blogs everywhere. Yeah, because I know I'm pretty sure Fake Shore Drive at this point out of Chicago. They've done. I'm pretty sure they're at ten years right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm guess like so I'm guessing they started at like oh six oh seven. So yeah, 08 would would still kind of make you guys pretty early in the game. It's interesting. So. Cause I don't really think about it in. I haven't really thought about it in like a revisionist way. But mm-hmm. like yeah, when we were starting. That's how I like got onto a lot of these blogs, or and people who have moved on from blogs now to doing to doing bigger things, like um, Two Dope Boys, um, Fake Shore Drive. You heard that new? Um, it wasn't Rap Radar then. No, it, no, I was. I remember when Rap Radar started in '09. Like these early just beacons of like digital um, production and just seeing these early. Um, just the, the the onslaught of the importance of the blogger. I was kind of there for the beginning of that. Never became as big as them, but it was cool to just kind of, you know, see and to be a part of. Hmm. And so, yeah, what were some of your favorite, like, articles that you got to do for, like, Complex or Ebony and some of those other places that you did while you were in college still? Um, or, like, right after? I think uh, I really... Uh, I, en- I enjoy The Root a lot because The Root allowed me to be um, a cultural critic, as so many people um, like to call themselves nowadays. And I don't say that in shady way. I feel like I wasn't qualified to be one, but I allow, <laughs> I'm glad that they gave me that, that platform to kind of just you know explore that intersection of 
pop culture and race or pop culture and just these other um, cultural linchpins, right? So yeah, I would intersect sports and culture, and I, I, and like I did a, I would do like um, TV reviews for the Root, or I would, you know, dissect why. Before the Migos were popping, I would be people were trying to disparage them as like just another Southern rap group. I would say like, "Yo, like it's you can chew bubblegum and walk. You can like Migos and still, you know, like K Dot, K- like K- like Kendrick Lamar." Um, so just and then talking about like the sexism that Nicki Minaj explored. I did a story on that about how um, uh, like how she faces the backlash when she makes a song like Anaconda as opposed to if a guy does a similar song, you know what I'm saying? So I value the root for that. Um, I would think my real, one of my first uh, breakout stories, ironically, came in sports. I wrote for Complex. I, uh, I did a column about two years ago where I just was like, yo, Serena Williams is not only the greatest tennis player of all time, she's probably the greatest athlete of all time, sports person of all time. Yeah, I remember like even before I'd met you, I met you like early last year, I think, but I I remember just seeing that headline from Complex, or yeah. was it Complex, like even before I'd met you so, and like how like that article blew up. So that was pretty Yeah, it cool. was wild. I had no, I really had no idea. And I have to credit that uh, in many ways because I don't think complex had an idea it would be that big either as far as um page views and reach and engagement because after that they actually really worked to you know give me more opportunities which led to one of my um pieces that i'm most proud of i profiled uh johnetta elsey who's one of the ferguson protesters she's like everyone knows deray with his you know his blue vest but she's like the woman beside him who has done just as much if not more for the for the um for the protest, but for you know a myriad of reasons, she was never really given his platform. So it was cool to tell her story um, locally for Ink. I mean, I love that I got to cover um, C Dot and uh, Carrington Harrison and uh, Danny Parkins and their story. We're on six ten. They're two six ten radio hosts. Um, that was cool. That was my one of my first um, cover stories. And then of course my. Um, my feature on a uh, Rory Fresco that was super cool. Mm-hmm. Just you know playing a role in kind of getting him uh, a little bit of shine in the local scene, and then also uh, uh, was 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 a really good article for me. I yeah. think was ended up being like one of the Inks highest selling uh, covers for for that year. So that mm-hmm. was really cool too. Oh, yeah, and so I guess that kind of brings us to when you're back in Kansas Kansas City here and writing for Ink and the Star and everything, but. First, I want to, like, so you said you had kind of grown up a little more of an R&B guy than yeah. a hip-hop guy, but do you have any personal experiences with, like, Kansas City hip-hop or R&B, like, before you left for college? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and let me clarify that, I guess. Like, um, I knew hip-hop. Like, I loved rap. You know, it was just, like, you know, um, I learned a lot more about, like, excuse me, like Hove or Biggie after going to um, uh, college mm. and being around those East Coast, that East Coast culture, you know. Um, I knew, you know, right, if it was on the radio, I knew it. And, you know, just doing the CD burning helped me get an, an, uh, an introduction to rap. But, I mean, I knew, like, R&B the back of my hand because, you know, if I'm riding the car with my mom and my dad, you know, they're they're not 
playing, you know, ready to die. They're playing whatever, you know, they're listening to. Um, But uh, what was the question? Uh, like your experiences with Kansas City hip hop and R and B before you? Yes, left. yeah, uh, well, yeah. Um, I um, I had a I had a casual I had a um, I'll say a casual experience. Like I like Fat Tone, Rich the Factor, um, those early uh kind of guys. Like I I knew the Stick Up Kid like front to back. Um, Rich the Factor, I was familiar with them, so I was really familiar with KC rap, but I wasn't. I didn't really find it. I didn't really get tethered to it as much. Like you know, I know a lot of people. And I think it's great about Kansas City. Um, a lot of people here are really loyal to the regional KC sound of rap or what it was in, in that time. Um, and, but I really just, you know, I had, I had artists that I liked, but I didn't really like study it, study it, um, until I came back and that was in 2015. And when I came back, um, I just kind of, you know, I kept a casual knowledge of like, you know, uh, G Watts and I heard about Dom Chronicles and, um, Uh, A few guys on the Caviar label Especially like Riley He's he's a friend of mine I know I'm really close with his sister as well So like I have been kind of Hearing about what they were doing in the town And then partly Through meeting you You introduced me to kind of other artists And I kind of fell down I like to call it the SoundCloud rabbit hole And so yeah it's, It's been really cool to see the evolution of Kansas City Hip Hop from what it was you know, 10 years ago to what it is now. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, what, what were some of the, like, what, what made you finally decide that you wanted to write the, so if anyone's not familiar, Aaron wrote a, what was the, like the headline? It was like the eight Kansas city rappers that might, it's like Casey new Casey's new wave of hip hop. Yeah. So, and you, that included, um, Aaron Alexander, Rory Fresco, AL, Kai Colors, did I say Aaron Alexander? Caviar, Detsa. Yeah, yeah, Riley and City Watson, Detsa. I think, man, I'm sorry. Zarin. Zarin and Zarin. And so you did like a mini profile on each of those guys. You filmed a freestyle of each of them, and then you did one big cipher video Mm -hmm. that you filmed in like the the art, like the... The art alley. Yeah, the art alley. Street, yeah. And so that was a really cool project, and you ended up winning. What was the name of the award for that? It's like a feature society. Yeah, Society of Features Journalism. I just won an award uh, for visual storytelling for that, which mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. Yeah. So when when did you really decide that you had wanted to do an article like that? I think once I listened to all of the music coming out and realized that yo, this is like this is pretty good and it's music that I could take elsewhere elsewhere as in outside of Kansas City and people would really latch it people responded really effectively towards it I I think the first inkling in my head came when Rory found his success and just seeing like how people reacted globally and um then I from there on I like fed a few Rory tracks to some of my I'm in this hip-hop group me uh group with some of my friends from college, I would feed them like Rory tracks or just random stuff I'd find on, on uh, SoundCloud. They was like, Oh, this isn't bad, you know? And, um, I realized that for the first time, in my opinion, um, Kansas city rap had a sound and a, a, a capability to go outside of just 
Kansas and Missouri, you know, or, you know, just region. I feel like it felt it felt bigger. It felt more global. It felt more universal. And I thought that in a way that was a metaphor for the city itself. Right. Like the city is becoming more universal and more global. We're 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 finding um, we're redefining who we are. Right. So I just kind of barring from what double XL does, just looking at who's the hottest. I'm not saying that these guys were the hottest or the best. I just, from my vantage point, they were eight strong representations of not only um, new Kansas, of Kansas City's new style mm-hmm. of hip hop, but it also was a representation of the breadth of it, right? Because like, Aaron Alexander is not like Riley, who is not like Detsa, who is not like Rory, who isn't like A.L. They were all very different. And it was really tough to hone down to those eight. I mean, I could have easily made it 15, 20. But um, in the end, I think that it accomplished what it needed to, which was just to show people that, like, Kansas City has the potential to really put on, to really, you know, make its mark, I think, in um, in music. Mm. And um, so that was just like from from what i understand like a pretty grueling process in itself to just wrangle oh, all these yes. artists and film these videos and everything but musicians are yeah. the worst where's the camera they're, they're the worst <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just kidding um no it, it it was it was from from it was it was cool i think in the end because i was so passionate about it it's always you know nice to write about something that you're passionate about um but yeah, the first the first uh, hurdle that I encountered that was really taxing was just like I said, the SoundCloud rabbit hole because you know I would listen like to Detsa and it would I would find my way to uh, Dame and then I'd find my way to like Super Shack and then I'd find my way to Cuddy Bear and then I'd find like I literally like a lot of these artists some of whom even were, like, not fucking with the article or, like, throwing shade on social media. Like, they were really close to, like, being in the article. I just couldn't, you know, I just, I can't, you know, the star won't give me 15 pages to do a rap feature. I can only choose eight. But that was the first thing, which is kind of, like, listening and deciding, like, dang, who do I want to give this look to, you know? And in a way, it was daunting because I felt almost like the task was too big for me. Like, who am I to just, you know, decide to exposed to, you know, the stars, millions of readers a week, which is basically what we have. But, but in the end, it's, it's, it's better to do it than to not and worry about who you're excluding. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I I got over that pretty quick, but at first it was something that I dealt with just the hours of listening to all these guys. And there there were factors that went into it. Right. I, I, I took into account, like, if I'm going to say that you're ready to take us to the next level, you have to show me that, right? There were guys who I would have used, but they hadn't released music in the last five months. There were guys who had no social media presence or had no concept of branding or of, and there were guys who seemed like, you know, like, yeah, they're good at rap, but it seemed like it wasn't, like it was their secondary thing. And it was like, I'm not going to, I can't say that you're, you know, serious about this and your last song was was made eight months before I'm doing the feature and those are things that kind of went into my decision making and I'm like well when they have music videos are the are the videos good the music is it mastered is it mixed well like there were just small things that I think um 
I had to look at to kind of make that decision. And in the end, that's why I feel to this day, I feel pretty, um, pretty confident in who I chose. But um, as far as that, after that, it was uh, it was not not so hard wrangling the guys, getting them in there to do the freestyles. You know, that, there were some like you know snafus, but nothing outside the norm that you go through when you're putting together a feature like this for any kind of publication. Yeah, and like maybe I just don't follow the star as closely as I should, but like it seemed like to be one of like the biggest, like most dynamic like projects that I've seen the star do in recent years. So that was really exciting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the star is, is obviously one of the best um, dailies in the nation. And that's not even just, you know, bias it's, it's kind of a fact. Um, but they, they like many of the best papers in the nation, newspapers, they make their bones on local coverage, you know, news coverage, hard news, you know, asking the tough questions and looking at these really serious topics, you know, features, in most newspapers, which I was a features reporter, features is like the redheaded stepchild, you know, like we do, you know, the the entertainment, you know, the TV reviews, the celeb interviews, and that's front and center in magazines and on blogs. That's great, but unless it's like the Times, New York Times, or like, you know, somebody like Chicago or something like that, they're not really, you know, the, the, the music critics and all that, they aren't, they aren't on the same hill with the same esteem as like, you know, the... The, the news, the hard news reporters. So as far as like devoting that kind of time to a music feature and then that feature being rap, that absolutely was, um, I believe, um, I know to be a, a very uh, unique and rare thing for the paper, which is also why I think it did so well because people were excited to see something fresh and a novel concept, you know, in the local paper. And, and that's what I hope to bring. You know, I want to, I want to explain expose and tell the stories that I think sometimes get lost or get untold and you know it was it was it, it wouldn't have been right with all the work that our local artists are doing to not highlight that and to not celebrate it you know it's a disservice for us not to do that so I um I'm just really proud that we were able to make that make that happen mm-hmm. and uh and yeah and like you you were telling me before that you like some of these artists have seen like a really good boost from it, and like those it did really well, like by the paper standards. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The engagement was good, um, like for sure. And it's important because right, if it doesn't do well metrically and make the paper money, they wouldn't do it again. But um, yeah, it did, it did well for the paper. The engagement, the engagement was really good. It won them actual awards, which is always nice. Um, yeah. It's uh, there have been some artists from artists who I know have found, you know, new audiences and new opportunities through that work. And at least one artist I know who has been contacted by um, record labels off of directly because of the feature, like Warner and Priority hit me like, we saw this feature and saw this artist, can we talk to him? So I'm just glad that, you know, it wasn't in vain. Mm. And so... Do you, do you do you think you keep up with all these artists pretty well and like are yeah I do, do you, they yeah. probably think I don't because like they'll text me sometimes and like I don't text back for like a day or two that's not nothing personal um, but yeah I do keep up with them um, I, uh, I I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed uh, Roy's work um, I really like uh, Al 
And I'm waiting on his uh, new tape to drop, which mm. I hear he's dropping pretty soon. Um, I am not the best with keeping up on everybody, but I do keep my tabs. I know Memento more. I've heard great, great things. I'm really excited to go to um, Aaron Alexander's listening party. Um, Riley has just, I mean, I'm, he's probably one of the most he's impressed me the most like with just his renewed commitment to his craft has really hit a new stride i think yeah he's pushing his music really hard this yeah year. and i and i um i I'm, I'm really really bobbing with him so yeah i keep up with him i keep at least i try to try to stick my head back in from time to time like i know you're kind of on a somewhat different beat at this point at the paper but do you see yeah. yourself doing a similar project in the future i would hope so yeah. um yeah i i have a new um I have a new job that is more, it's it's less entertainment, less features. I know I did a lot of um, concert reviews, music reviews, mm-hmm. you know, features that focused on, you know, um, entertainment topics. My new role is um, very different. And the way I was kind of explained, I was kind of told by um, the head honchos was, you know, if I accomplish what I have to with with my actual new job. My new role is a reporter. I'm an enterprise reporter now, which essentially means I have to, um, I I look at um, topics in our city that typically divide us, and uh, I explore those divisions, whether it's race or orientation or the Kansas versus Missouri divide or social social, um, class, uh, just things that I... So that's my job now, to kind of look at those kind of topics and explore those. So it's a little more serious. It's less like, you know, American Ninja Warrior and Easter Bunnies on the Plaza or whatnot. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I do hope that um, in some that sometimes I can squeeze in another feature because I would really love to highlight a new level of artists. You know, I love to look at, I love to learn about, you know, the women on our um, scene. I love to explore the R&B uh, a little bit more. Um yeah, there's a lot of potential out there for, for for more features, and I hope that I can get some in there eventually. And so, yeah, let's jump into the the first article that you did as a part of this new kind of series you're doing. Yeah. Was, it talked about uh, racism in Kansas City's nightlife scene, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, like I'm an enterprise reporter, and in enterprise journalism, it's basically kind of Journalism, you usually kind of report the news, right? You you report off of what has happened or you're going off like a press release. Like you're kind of, you, you know, you kind of let the world dictate, you know, the story. But as enterprise, as an enterprise journalist, your job is kind of to use your knowledge of a subject to kind of figure out what, excuse me, what needs to be told. And so in my role as a Kansas City native, the star kind of has told me, like, look, you know people around here, you know communities around here. Find out what's important to them. Find out what's causing the divide. You know, what's causing friction in our communities. You know, what are those topics? Look at them, explore them, and let's start conversations and let's hope to bring change. And so for my first um my first project, uh as a native of this city, as a black millennial, I knew that there was a very real tension between um, black millennials and uh, how they felt Kansas City's social scene was to them. They felt that they were tolerated, that the that line that we use in the story is that they're, they're, they're tolerated, not really welcome. Um, and this has been an ongoing story I've always heard off the record and on the record, you know, like people feel like 
Kansas City doesn't do a good enough job in being inclusive and embracing an array of cultures. And that's really important as this city wants to continue to grow and be that world-class city, right? Like we love to to share those travel magazine millennial hotspot. This is, you know, this is a new hot city. Like, oh, the New York Times writer went and got Casey Joes. Nice. Right, right. Like, like, they're, like they're, we have such this, this civic pride about our city, right? But the reality is that um, we have a long way to go. And one way that we, one way that we needed to improve and quickly was in how millennials of color feel. Because, I mean, Let's face it, like, I mean, what's millennials value inclusivity? We, we don't like to be, you know, put into a box, right? Like, when you go, when you go out, I mean, look at you, Aaron, like, you cover punk rock, as much as you cover rap, as much as you cover, you know, traditional rock, like, you, you know, you're, you're not just put into one box. And when you go out, like, how often are you going out and like, you're just going out with all white people, all straight people, all black people? Like, but Kansas City, I think, um, and I think that what you do is reflective of the of millennials in general. Like we, yeah, we're not trying to be. Yeah, they're not afraid to explore like a different culture or a different social scene. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, when you go out, and then in these cities like you know, not even I don't want to keep using like L.A. and New York because those are such bigger cities. But even like Memphis, was it was it, was it good like that in D.C. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like, you know, like you, bro, you shouldn't be going out to a club and you don't hear Bodak Yellow. You know, your opinion of Cardi B aside, it's the number one. It's the number one song in the country. It's a great song. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it is a great song produced by a Kansas City producer. Child to child to Jay White. But um, yeah, you interviewed him the other day, right? I did. Yeah. I did. But like you shouldn't go to a top 40 club and conveniently, even though 20 of the top 40 songs in the country right now are made by black artists, you hear none of them. Like that is a systemic, um, that's, that's a systemic um, effort to, to, to exclude what, to exclude a certain people or a certain element. Yeah. And I found that that was happening all over the city. And I found that the star or no other media had rarely done an adequate enough job of calling out these people and saying, hey, like, this is wrong. And it's more than just nightclubs. I have to say that in the story. Like, millennials, you're going to stay in a city if you feel like you can find a community to foster, you know, to foster you, you know, and camaraderie. And if you're black in Kansas City, there are so a black professional. There are so few spaces where we feel like you can go, whether it be a lounge or just like a bar or or a nightclub. There there are so few spaces that feel like they were made, not necessarily with us in mind, but that that that, that they that they work to really welcome us. Yeah. And I think that um, that is validated when you talk to when I talk to these 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 uh, millennials from other cities mm-hmm. who were saying like yeah like I come here. And I go out and I get tired of hearing EDM. Like I don't, I don't know where the black coffee shop is. I don't know where you know um, this, you know, the happy hours ain't happen like they do in DC, or the or the brunches don't happen like they do in uh, in Memphis or Houston. And that lack of bigness, that lack of inclusivity, it makes people want to move away. So in the end, this is not just me complaining or black folks complaining for black folks' sake. This this hurts your city because millennials who could otherwise contribute and help grow the prestige of your city, they leave for other cities that they, that that they think are doing it better than you are. Mm. And so, 
like anyone who does any sort of reading about Kansas City, like news in general, knows like the power and light district's history of racism and it's like right. how it's pretty overt. Right. But some of your article kind of tackles like Westport and how like that's not even as talked about of a th- of a thing. But like there are these restaurants and like in bars and clubs in Westport that um do things to like not welcome yeah. black crowds. Yeah, and 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 I, and I, and I, we made the decision to go with Westport because to be honest, Westport is the best option we have. And I'm saying so we kind of showing like this is the best of a bad situation. Well, this is the best that we have, and it's still chock full of problematic practices, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, this is Westport, which 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 is where we all go. Imagine what the crossroads is like, or Waldo, or God forbid, you know, Power and Light, which people don't even bother to go to anymore. If like you're like from Kansas City, um, and that's kind of why I chose to kind of hone in on Westport. Just and it's kind of it's kind of sucks for them because like they are like I said the be- they're doing the best job but I think it's powerful to show that look this is the best place to go and it still has people who say like yeah bro I don't I, sometimes I don't play rap music because I just don't want that those people there like it's everywhere it's rampant in our city and I just hope that it started the conversation and got people to realize that like it is happening and that it does matter to people yeah it's happening you can't let those people just. F- feel comfortable doing those things so that's what i found yeah. that's happened I, I was surprised bro and when i wrote that story how many people had such concrete evidence like not even just like it happened to me but like oh yeah bro i'm a dj i got an email from a from a um a promoter or a club owner saying nah you don't get to play that or yeah bro like uh this owner of of this restaurant just in front of me said he didn't want my business like it's it was so many concrete and um, concrete instances of it happening, it was so widespread, it was kind of mind-blowing to just know that we had allowed um, so many people who knew better to operate the way that they had been operating. So I'm just glad that I could kind of just kind of shed a little bit of light on that. Mm. And something that you also touched on, on in the article was, like, I you were at the the shooting that happened yes. at California's, right? Yes, I was. So. And California's had kind of recently become a more welcoming spot. Like it, it had like the the brunch, like the Sunday yeah. recovery, yeah, uh, things where yeah, and, yeah. and and that's what. I, and again, I want to say this isn't like a black problem, right? Like I think people sometimes feel like it's it's just pertaining to one race, but you know, hip hop culture, black culture is pop culture now. You know, yeah. like. Like we have our tentacles in every aspect of cultural cultural phenoms nowadays because like 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 rap music is pop music now you know it's not just it's not that sequestered element right um, so yeah um, I say that to say I enjoyed recovery because I felt like everyone enjoyed recovery you know um, recovery had white people coming loving it Asians loving it. Gay, straight, loving it, black, loving it. And that to me, like I would Snapchat recovery and people would be like, yo, you went out of town or yo, you in my city? And they're like in Houston. I'm like, no, I'm in Kansas City. They're like, what? Like, and in a way that's cool, but in another way, it's kind of, and the people from Kansas City would be like, yo, you left town? And that was crazy to, to know that people in Kansas City felt like, yo, this looks 
too good to be Kansas City. You know what I'm saying? And um, so yeah, uh, recovery was one of the um, highlights, an example of I thought of I think what Kansas City can become. And a reason it actually ended up being in that tragedy, the um, catalyst for this story, because in the aftermath of um, the shooting, which was particularly crazy um, for me, not in the fact that the tragedy hit me more so than anyone else. I will never make that assumption, but crazy in the fact that I kind of went from a civilian to a reporter, you know, in, 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 one, in a time I wasn't expecting to, to do that, and two, um, in like the worst situation possible. But um, literally as, you know, Thomas is fighting for his life and there's chaos going around and people are kind of figuring out what's going on, you have people who are like, damn, like we had a great thing and we're going to lose it. And that really struck me that, like, in the in the face of uh, of of abject tragedy, you're already worried about how Kansas City will treat parties that look like that one, and you and you're 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 keenly aware of the reality that they will probably use this as an example as to why you shouldn't be allowed in these spaces, right? And that struck me to to realize that yo this is such a topic that people are so aware of and that they have so much anxiety around that even even as someone literally is dying they're in the back of their head they're thinking about the implications of what it will mean as far as our social scene and so that's kind of what kind of inspired me to be like yo this has to be covered especially with the backdrop of what happened at California's Mm. and uh what, what kind of reaction have you received from the article and like where do you really see the the situation moving from here um the reaction was tremendous man i i knew it would be considerable i didn't know how big it would be i think it's the biggest story of my um career so far especially with like page views and engagement um reactions ran i mean of course the gamut like i had lots of black people majority of black people who said like this is exactly what I needed to be said thank you like I mean I had people my age people younger than me and in in like just fresh out of college I had um I had ladies parents 70 years old telling me calling me at my job and saying yo I had this same conversation with with my frustrated son 30 years ago like this has been a problem that young black people have had in this city for years um I also have black people that said, "Hey, I mean, I don't think it's that bad." They were in the very, they were in the very, very low minority, but they were there. I had white people who were, or I'll just say, other those other than black, because it wasn't just like white; it was some whites, it was Asians, Latinos who were saying, "Like, yo, I had no clue that it was like this was an issue." And thank you for you know opening my eyes to it. And I had a considerable amount of white people who just said, "Like, this is not an issue." One. Um, we're super diverse. Two, this is silly to think about to even consider writing this big story on social scenes and nightclubs. Like that's not important. Like what was the Kansas City Star doing? And then I had people who were just saying like, you know, I was essentially race baiting and creating division and creating a problem. And so literally from both sides, I saw a range of um, responses. And uh, yeah, so that that. 
the recovery is kind of left without a home right now too and well um yeah I, I, well as of right now they they did make the decision to kind of like um take a take a break yeah but um uh Terry Burns who is a great man the owner of Californos and um I I celebrate him just for being one of the few businesses in Westport that was unashamed and unabashed with his support of letting you know black promoters throw a party that centered hip-hop in Westport on a Sunday like that was cool um he um last I heard he was still open to the idea like he doesn't want to do what so many do which is paint you know use paint with a broad brush you know he doesn't want to say well happen once it's just going to happen all the time I mean there are things that they want to change there are things they'll they'll obviously have to have to take um more um Precautions moving forward, but from what I understand, there is interest to continue recovery. Um, I don't know if it'll be a Californos. I don't know if it'll be a partnership between Mr. Burns and uh, Quentin and Josh, the guys that threw the party. But I do know that that recovery. I don't know that it'll, it'll even be called recovery, but I do know that a party like that with the same kind of aim will be back. It's not. It's not dead per se. No, it's good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's been. Awesome to have you on. Uh, where can people follow you, and what do you have? Like, is there anything coming up that people should look for? Follow me on Twitter, uh, Aaron Ronell. It's A A R O N R O N E L. Yeah, just look out for me on, uh, I guess, on the Kansas City Star, uh, KansasCity.com. I have a story uh, today, uh, actually, that dropped. It's going to um, be tackling gentrification uh so again looking at topics that kind of you know explore um tensions in our community and you know just want to create a conversation but uh yeah man just uh look, look me up on twitter and say hi shoot me a shout shoot me an email um my email is at, that, is at the bottom of all my articles um yeah man thanks a lot yeah no problem uh and people can visit shuttlecockmusic.com and follow at shuttlecockmag and there, there's a store on shuttlecockmusic.com. So if you want to support, that's the best way to do it. You can get a shirt or a button. And uh, listen to the ADD podcast with Jason Barr. And I think that's it for this week. Thanks for coming on.